Welcome to Mrs. Flick's Picks, where busy moms can find the best books for their kids. Join me in my mission to cultivate children's moral imagination through good stories, beautifully written. Welcome back to Mrs. Flick's Picks. I'm Carrie Flick, and I am thrilled you're here with me today. If you've been with me for the past two episodes, you may have noticed that I'm a huge fan of fairy tales. So today, I'd like to win you over to my side and see what a wonderful thing the fairy tale is for both you and your kids. Have you ever stood in your own house and looked intently into a mirror? The room you see reflected in the mirror is very much like the room you're standing in. But there's also something foreign about it. It seems deeper somehow. The proportions are a little off. You recognize it, but you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it is somehow a different room than the one you inhabit. The realm of the fairy story is like this. It is a mirror world, very similar to our own, but with its own rules of the realm. And really, the rules are not difficult to learn. I'll share them with you now. Rule number one. If she looks like a witch, she's a witch. There are no figures in fairyland that look evil, but are in fact good. A witchy-looking lady is up to no good. And if you trust her on any level, the consequences will be severe. Rule number two. If she doesn't look like a witch, she may still be a witch. Many of the villains in Fairyland appear beautiful and benign, but the hero must beware at all times because appearances can be deceiving. Which brings us to rule number three. Appearances can be deceiving. The beast could be Prince Charming. The haggard beggar could be the fairy godmother. The box of lead could be the treasure chest. In Fairyland, nothing can be taken at face value, with the exception of rule number one. Rule number four, you must pass through the forest. It will be dark and dangerous, and you must remember rule number three, but into the forest you must go, and you must come out of it again. And lastly, Rule number five, good does triumph over evil. The hero comes home. The princess is saved. The witch is defeated. And the treasure is abundant. Now, yes, there are plenty of other genres of books that can offer the same sort of lessons for our young heroes. But the fairy tale is uniquely suited for a child's innate thirst for wonder. Children want to be amazed. They delight in the miraculous, the inexplainable. Fairyland does resemble our world, but it is exaggerated. And ironically, a child well-versed in the rules of Fairyland is much better equipped to identify the witches, forests, and wonder of our own land. And isn't the story of Christianity at its heart a fairy story? albeit a true one, as Tolkien so famously put it. The garden, 
the serpent, the wilderness, the long-awaited hero, the dragon slayer, the king in disguise as a poor homely carpenter, and then revealed in all his glory and might. Appearances can be deceiving, indeed. You see, we actually have it backwards. All the fairy tales are echoes and imitations of the one true story, the only story that encompasses all others. Well, of course, all of my picks today are going to be fairy tales. And for many years, I've collected beautifully illustrated versions. And this one, Little Red Riding Hood by Trina Shart Hyman, is one of the most visually rich fairy tales I've ever seen. I love all of her work because every picture has so many details. You think about a grandmother's um, cottage, and it's always just so stuffed full of different trinkets and knickknacks. This illustrator manages to capture all of those. Each scene feels very cozy and warm. The story is a very faithful version of the original Brothers Grimm, and it serves as a perfect example of the rules of fairyland. Ironically, though, Red Riding Hood is not the heroine of her own story. Although she is given strict instructions from her mother not to veer from the path, she listens to the wolf's supposed wisdom and straying from the path to bask in the beauty of the forest. Unbeknownst to her, Red Riding Hood's disobedience has very serious repercussions for her grandmother, which she could not have foreseen. After the wolf bodily consumes both the grandmother and Red, they are utterly helpless to save themselves. They are only saved by the quick action of a kind huntsman who identifies the wolf as the killer that he is. Though Little Red's disobedience leads her to the belly of a beast, the Savior comes along and lifts her out of the pit of death. She's so overcome with gratitude to her rescuer, she has a change of heart and promises to obey from then on. You know the story, and I'll leave you to draw the parallels, but this version of it, in particular the illustrations, will bring you an entirely new appreciation of it. For my next pick, I've chosen one by George MacDonald called The Princess and the Goblin. George MacDonald was one of C.S. Lewis's most beloved authors and MacDonald's fairy tales had a profound impact on Lewis. The Princess and the Goblin tells a story of young Princess Irene in a remote countryside palace where she lives alone with her servants. Unbeknownst to Irene, in the hidden caverns deep within the mountains surrounding the palace, an entire realm of goblins are planning to storm Irene's castle and take her captive as a bride for their repulsive goblin prince. Irene is delivered from this scheme with the help of a brave minor boy named Curdie and Irene's mysterious grandmother, who is certainly not all that she seems. This story offers sterling examples of courage and integrity, what it means to keep a promise and stay true to your word. It is also a tale of the nature of faith. As Irene's grandmother says, seeing is not believing, it is only seeing. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, things not seen. 
Many characters in this story wrestle with faith to different results. But as rule number five mandates, in the end, good does prevail. This is a timeless book that will appeal very much to both girls and boys. The boys, especially, will just, they're going to revel in all the goblin fights, I promise you. Now, I will say the younger readers will probably struggle with the Victorian language a bit. As a read aloud, it's suitable for ages seven on up. And if this is a hit with your family, there's a sequel, The Princess and Curdie. Lastly, I will commend to you a book I discovered in sixth grade and have come back to again and again since then. It is Beauty by Robin McKinley. This is a novelized version of Beauty and the Beast, and McKinley puts a significant spin on the traditional tale in that Beauty's real name is Honor. Beauty is a rather embarrassing nickname because she's physically rather awkward and plain. Pitted against her two lovely sisters, she feels very out of place. But this beauty is remarkable in that she's genuinely happy for and proud of her sisters and their feminine accomplishments. She doesn't sink into a pity party, and she doesn't wallow in jealousy. And when, as the story goes, her family is thrust into poverty and moves out into the country, beauty dives right into the hard, manual labor of farm life, without complaint and without developing a martyr syndrome. She's believably generous and kind. There's nothing in her appearance that we should desire her. We love her for her goodness, and yes, honor. This story is a lovely picture of personal sacrifice and the resurrection power of true love. The novel progresses in the traditional way of the story, but it is light and comforting. I've often picked it up on a winter evening just to slip into a world of beauty and magic. It's also very readable. There's no Victorian language in this one. It is a romance, of course, but very suitable for middle school girls on up through high school. And that wraps up this week's picks. I can't wait to have you back here next week. And in the meantime, happy reading! <laughs>